Last week, we looked at, the last time we were together, we looked at verse 1 and 2. And uh, we're going to sort of look at 1 and 2 again tonight because it's repeated there, but not in the same degree. So just by way of remembering, since it's been a couple of weeks, Exodus is where we're at. And uh, it is a book on redemption of God's people, his firstborn, the nation of Israel. 430 years they were in bondage, and now they've been delivered. And, of course, it's all a picture, a type, an example of eventually the salvation that Jesus would bring us, the Messiah would bring us. The law couldn't do it. And this is where uh, the the whole gospel, the book of Romans, the book of Galatians, uh, Christ comes in and says, here's the truth. Here's righteousness. Now, do it. (laughs) You know, whether it was Adam and Eve, don't eat one piece of fruit out of all the trees, out of the billion trillion trees on earth, just one tree don't eat of, they couldn't do it. Well, we're going to find the same thing with the law. 613 laws they were given and they broke them all. Uh, and no matter how simple the law might be and how obvious it might be, don't kill, <laughs> don't commit adultery, don't use God's name, and they, they would find themselves committing those sins. So we saw that the same day they had Passover, the same day that was the first day of unleavened bread, that is when the Lord brought the children out of the land of Egypt and in their armies or in their companies in an orderly fashion. And this is something we're going to see with God. He's, he's casual, but orderly. And that's the church is Jesus. So it is to be casual in dress, casual in speech, casual in presentation, easy to entreat, but yet at the same time, an order, a structure is in place, you know? It always amazes me, that giant ocean covering 70% of the world's uh, landmass, that ocean, but yet people will build million-dollar homes right on the edge of it because they have such faith in the order of high tide and low tide. And, and um, even though there's incredible force, power um, of that ocean, they, they, they trust in the orderliness of, of how the oceans kept in place. So last time we looked at verse 1 and 2, then the Lord spoke to Moses saying, Consecrate to me all the firstborn, whatever opens the womb among the children of Israel, both of man and of beast, it is mine. So the first step, he says, okay, now that you're out of bondage, go your way, do whatever you want, live and let live. No, no, he says you're out of bondage, but Understand there's a reason I'm taking you out of bondage. So your first step out of bondage needs to be a purposeful, clear step. And that's the kind of pattern you're going to have in the future. And in essence, the very first step is God is first. How, in a practical way, were they to show God was first? In their their material possessions. In what they possessed sort of everything we have is borrowed right all material things you know each other even even our own bodies it's all you know naked we came in this world and naked we're going out right but yet why we have it it's ours on loan but yet 
give it to God. It's his, 100%. I recognize that God has given it to me, and I, he wants it back. I'll give it back into him. And he's like, no, 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 just, just a percentage. But the very first, the best, the top, give to the Lord. Remember, we looked in Matthew 6 where Jesus said, it really all boils down to two gods. Now, there's a lot of gods uh, that Satan pretends to be, right? But the, it really comes down to, to two. One is the true and living God, and the other is money. That's interesting. Mammon, the God of money. You love the one, hate the other, cling to one, despise the other. And you see people who have come to the reality in their own life going, God, it's yours. It's all yours. Whatever you want, whenever you want, however you want, it's yours. And, and, and the Lord speaks, hey, give some money to this person or give some money to those missions or, hey, give uh, your, your tithe to the Lord every week or whatever the Lord puts into your heart. And you're able to do it joyfully. But then there's other people, it's like, oh, every time I got to give, I hope you're happy, God. Here's your stinking money. I'm not going to be able to afford to pay my bills, but at least you're happy. They, they hate the one. They clean the one. It's like, all of a sudden, they're mad at God. They hate, they hate the fact that their money's being touched by God. So God is not in the business of raising money. <laughs> He's not the Godfather. But he is God our Father, and he is in the business of raising children. And we need to have a clean heart. If the heart is, if the eye is clear, then the whole body is full of light. If the eye is dark, the whole body is full of darkness. How great is that darkness? So really, it is a really first thing that God, whatever I have, it's yours. Time, energy, talents, money, family car, house, whatever it is, it's yours. And, and I do it joyfully. See, that's the key. It's not of compulsion. It's not being forced to do it. It's, I do it joyfully. And that's where the Bible basically makes it really clear. If you can't give hilariously, don't give it all. Because without love, it profits you nothing, right? It's only as you give it with joy and love to God. And this is the first step that they had. So now what is the next step? The, the second step, I guess we could say, in, in living this purposeful life out of bondage. Well, that brings us to verse three. Looking at verse three to seven now. And Moses said to the people, remember this day in which you went out of Egypt, out of the house of bondage, for by strength of hand, the Lord brought you out of this place. No leavened bread shall be eaten. On this day, you're going out in the month of Abib. Now, now make a note of that, Abib, because some translations will have Nisan, and then later on, it will have the name Nisan. Because when they, understand, March and April is the lunar calendar, the monthly calendar of the Jews. We talked about this last time, that the, the monthly calendar really doesn't work. And every few years, you've got to add a month, which they did, or add several days to certain months for a couple of years to get caught back up on the lunar calendar. It was not a very... Uh, good way to, to be able to get to the, you know, 10th day of this month of, uh, of Abib to start your, so anyway, um, but after the Babylonian exile, the Hebrew language uh, began to change, and they've been, they started using a lot more Aramaic 
type words. And so, you know, and so for example, the, the month of Abeb would be changed to the Babylonian Nisan instead. So some people are going, hey, why is it Abib here and Nisan over in this passage of Ezra and Nehemiah? This is why. But in verse 5, it shall be when the Lord brings you into the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Hivites, the Jubasites, as he swore to your fathers to give you the land flowing with milk and honey, you shall keep this service in this month. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread. In the seventh month there shall be a feast to the Lord. Unleavened bread shall be eaten seven days. No leavened bread shall be seen among you, nor shall leaven be seen among any of you in all your quarters or houses or tents or whatever you're living in at the time. So you're saying, Brian, didn't we cover this already in like two other chapters? Yes, we did. Didn't we already hear this in the first two verses? Yes, we did. Then why are we covering it again? Well, I'm glad you asked because they didn't do it. God, in chapter 12, he said, no leaven whatsoever. And then we get to the middle of the chapter and what does it tell us? That they still had leaven in their bread. And the only reason they didn't eat it is because they didn't have time to cook it <laughs> and to have it rise. And so therefore they didn't they did keep the the feast of unleavened bread you know with God grating on the curve. <laughs> you know because they didn't eat it. But understand God says two things here. He says don't eat unleavened bread, but what does he say they shall do every day? They shall or excuse me, they, will, they shall not eat leavened bread. But what shall they do? They shall eat leavened bread every day. So were they able to eat leavened bread? Or unleavened bread? Oh my gosh, I said it wrong twice, didn't I? Do not eat leavened bread. Yes, he said that. They hadn't done that simply because they didn't have time to cook it and the bread didn't rise because it had leaven in the dough. But they, the Bible also says you do need to eat the unleavened bread which they can't do because they don't, they don't have bread that's unleavened. The bread they have has leaven in it. So, but yet we see God here sort of grading on the curve and being gracious and, and not making a big point of it. But now he's coming back and he's, he's saying it again and, and sort of even more emphatic. I, I said no leaven, but now I'm saying you can't even see leaven. Well, there is no leaven in the bread, but... You've got a big lump of dough right next to the unleavened bread that has leaven in it still. No, I, I don't want it even in your even in your house. Of course, at this time they don't have houses, okay? So he says quarters. Don't it should not even be anywhere where you live, any anywhere you inhabit it. There, there shouldn't be any leaven to be had. And and God makes a point of this. Now, I just want to make an important point. You say, well, unleavened, leaven, leaven, leaven's talking about sin. Yes, it is. He, he's basically saying your, your next step. 
putting God first and joyfully so. And God, everything I have is yours. And here's the first, the best, the top. And, and you're, everything I possess is yours, Lord. That's how I'm going to live my life. It is that naked I came in this world, naked I go out. I, I'm here on borrowed time. I'm here with everything is material. If I own a bunch of gold, I'm going to leave it behind. If I own some land, I'm not going to take it with me. It's, it's, it's all earth stuff that's really, you know, of little value. As a matter of fact, the Bible says that, you know, you get to heaven, the streets are of gold. So if you're carrying around gold in heaven, they're going to go, why do you have asphalt on you? Why are you carrying, dragging around a bag of asphalt? That's the way it's going to look. It's, it's weird, isn't it, how we, we think of things being valuable? You know, um, you know, Ivy, you know, they, oh, I see the trunk of an elephant. And man, I got to cut that thing off and make stuff out of it. I mean, I, I don't know if I ever would have thought that. But somebody says, oh, that's valuable. So I'm going to cut that off of that, kill that elephant and cut the tusk off so I can, you know, oh, yeah, I'll give you a lot of money for it. So I, I don't know. Why is that so valuable to you? you? You know, and then diamonds. Oh, that's it. You know, diamonds are... I don't know. They're just clear. I mean, isn't purple or green or red? Stone, I mean, they're prettier in my mind. But yet, we have made that. The De Beers, the greatest marketing campaign on the planet. You'll never beat this marketing plan. Is in 1924, the De Beers out of London said... We're going to make the world believe you are not officially married if you don't have a diamond. And pretty much, if you look before that, people didn't have diamonds. They usually had hand downs from their other family of whatever the, the thing was. And a lot of people just had a band. There was no stone or diamond or anything. I was fine. But boy, I mean, I, I was fully convinced I had to get my wife a diamond. I mean, it, it, it was the most biggest one, most expensive one. And the only reason I know it was expensive because the jeweler told me it was. It had JL1IB7 clear. Here, here. And I'm looking at this thing going, oh, yeah, okay. Oh, yeah. Oh. Like an idiot, you know, I, I pay all the big money. But yet, now they have found so many diamonds, they have to hide them. This is the, 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 the story, because if they really let the diamonds go that have been found, then the value of diamonds would be like pebbles you see on the street. You know, imagine, oh, here's a pebble. Oh, I've got to make a jewelry. Oh, you're not married until you got one of these pebbles off the street. It, it's, it's like, okay. And then what do they do with gold? They... People die. They dig into caves and ah, and then they get the gold. And then they put it into bricks. And then they go hide it back in the ground at Fort Knox. It's like I took it out of this dark place, made a little brick out of it, then put it back into a dark place. But that was great. That was wise. The more of that stuff we have, the better. Why? What are you going to do with it? I'm going to... Hide it. <laughs> I'm going to bury it somewhere and have soldiers, 
it's, it's so ridiculous how silly we, we are about shoes and clothes and, and, and things like that. It's just one hunk of metal getting us from one location to another location, but yet people will pay hundreds of thousands of dollars for those pieces of metal with an engine in it. Or not, a, not an engine in it these days, huh? But either way, it, it, there has to have something in our hearts. And now in the second step, it's no leaven. No leaven. I can't see it. It's not in my house. It's not around my children. It's not in the bedroom. It's not in the kitchen. It's, it's nowhere to be found or seen. And in the, the Passover meal, I've talked about that, how they have three pieces of unleavened bread individually wrapped. And the dad at the beginning of the meal will take the second piece of unleavened bread and he crumbles it. And then he takes one of the pieces out of that and he goes somewhere and hides it in the house. And then he comes back and sets it down. It's called the afikomen. And at a point towards the end of the meal, he'll tell the kids, okay, go find it. And they go through the house to find the afikomen and bring it back. And then they all have a piece of bread. Well, before unleavened bread starts, they do the same thing. They get all the leaven in little lumps and they hide it all over the house, sort of like an Easter egg hunt. And all the kids go and they find all the leaven in the drawers, under the bed, you know, and they bring it back and, and then they together get rid of it. It, it. They make it a feast. And this is the point I was going to make. Say, oh, unleavened bread, again, live without sin. It's so hard. No, there's a feast at the beginning of unleavened bread. And there's a feast on the last day of unleavened bread. Feast, joy, gladness, celebration. So it wasn't, it wasn't this gloomy We've got to get leaven out of our house. We can only have leaven for seven days. No, le- only unleavened bread. No leaven. Oh, God is so hard. This is such a difficult law. No, it was joyful. Oh, man, we have this Passover lamb, and it's a family time. And, and then we start at the same time, unleavened bread. And we have these seven days. We have a feast at the beginning. It was a time of joyfully saying, God... I give my life to you. The first step is all that I have is yours. The second step is I, I want to live a life in purity. It's interesting to just ask ourselves that question. Do we understand this point of leaven or unleaven? Because what happens is this. A lot of times people say, oh, I need to live a life without sin. And they don't. They, they lose their focus into religiosity. So it's like, are, are you, how, how are you living? Are you living a life in holiness in the will of God? Yes, I've got my rosary. <laughs> and I do my rosary bead counting three times a day. Or I've got this necklace or I, I got this rug and I put it out to the east and I do this, and I cut my hair like this, and and I got an ash on my forehead like this, and I bow down like this, and I light this candle like this, and I ring this bell like this, and and yes, I'm holy, because I do all of these religious things. And, And that's what they turn into, because religion's easy. 
Religion, in essence, it's governed by man. You're either grading yourself, but typically other people are grading you. You go to church for everybody to grade you. You know, that's what's happening. And in, in essence, the organization takes the place of a relationship with God. If you're right with the organization, you're right with God. If you're not right with the organization, then you're not right with God. Let me ask you, is it possible for you to be not in right relationship with an organized religion and still be right with God? (laughs) I mean, they kicked Martin Luther out and said, hey, you're damned to hell because you're not a good Catholic. And of course, Martin Luther put the 99 Thesis on the door and said, hey, people should have a Bible in their own language and read it themselves and you shouldn't do indulgences in the Pope. It's not in the Bible where he's the king of our religion and we don't have to listen to him if he's speaking heresy. And all of these things are like, you're not a good Catholic, you're out of here. We damn you to hell forever. There's no way you can go to heaven because you've got to be right with the church and the church is condemning you, Martin Luther. So, but yet he, Martin Luther wasn't going, oh my gosh, I'm damned. He's like, I know before God that I have the true doctrine. I'm, I'm going by what the Bible says. So in the same way, though, we, we, can, we can make it about church. Did I go to church this week? Did I go to church twice this week? Did I pray before I ate the food? You know, I, I've been at family reunions, you know, and somebody will get some food and, you know, take a cracker and start eating you know, some dip, and somebody will go, oh my God, we have not prayed yet. I mean, and they're serious. They're serious. It's like, how could you take a bite of food? How do you consider yourself a believer in Jesus? How do you expect to go to heaven when you have taken a bite of food and we haven't prayed officially yet? They're this way. I was at the last time I was family. Somebody said, watching football, and somebody said, ah, ah, oh my goodness, oh my gosh. And literally, one of my relatives came unglued and walked over and just said, thou shalt not use the Lord God, God's name in vain. It's like, what, what happened? You said, oh my gosh. That's the same as cursing God. You're a blasphemer. I mean, they were serious. And it was weird because one of the family members that doesn't even try to be a Christian just said, hey, I got something to say to that and flipped them off. And I'm sort of glad they did because I felt the same way. <laughs> it's like, I don't, I don't know how you're thinking of Christianity, but this is not it. Christianity is not about getting all the unreligiousness out of your house and getting a bunch of religion in your house. And so the next seven days, we're going to be more religious than we are the rest of the year. So let's, you know, we got Holy Week. We're going to go to church every week, every day this week. And we're going to bow like this. And we're going to crawl on our knees like this. And we're going to pray this many prayers a hundred times and that many 
prayers and we're going to put ash on our forehead and burn candles and this we're going to be more religious this week and God's going to love us being going to church every day and burning candles and chanting all these rosaries. God's going to make this holy week and go, wow, you guys are blessing me with all your religiousness. And Jesus says this in Matthew 16, 6. He says this. Jesus said to them, take heed and beware of the what? The leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And what does he point out? He points out all the things. Oh, you know, they stand and they pray so many times a day, but they do it so men will see them and men will praise them. Oh, they give so much financially, but they get guys to blow trumpets and bang. You know, he was being funny. And, and so they can see them, you know, I'm going to give a $1,000, but I put it all in pennies. So it's real heavy and I got to give and give and give. So men will see them and say, oh, they're so religious. They're so spiritual. Look at the garments they're wearing. They're so religious. Jesus says, beware of that religious junk. And of course, we've looked at this several times, actually, in the last several times we've been together in Exodus. In 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, your glorifying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. Therefore, keep, let us keep the feast. What feast? The feast of unleavened bread. Not with old leaven, nor with the leaven of malice or wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth, or without hypocrisy and truth. And of course, in 1 Corinthians 6, we've looked at that. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, who is in you, whom you have from God, and is not your own? And in 1 Corinthians 6, 20, for you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your body and in your what? Spirit which are God's. So there's that second step. God, everything I have is yours, joyfully so. You want me to go to the middle of, uh, you know, New Guinea and live with the tribe people and probably get burned to the stake? I'm going, you know. You, you want everything I have? It's yours. I'm not going to be like the rich young ruler who walks away sad. I give it all. It's yours if you want it. But we step back going, is your heart full of love in doing this? If you give all your goods, all that you have, and you have not love, it profits you nothing. Jesus said if, if, you're, if there's any grudging in your heart and you're not giving hilariously, joyfully, don't give it at all. It will profit you nothing. And so we come back to say, is, is God my everything He's my all in all. I surrender all to him. It's joyfully. Now the second step, I want my life, my body, soul, and spirit. Romans 12, 1 and 2, another verse on that. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is good, acceptable, 
and then the perfect will of God. So I, I think that acceptable is almost better for a lot of people than holy. <laughs> it's like, you live in holy? It's like, I'm not sure what that means, but I feel like I need to move to Vatican City and get a robe and a grand poobah hat and uh, big giant chains and, and walk around chanting, you know, when you say be holy. I don't know what that means. Let me just say this. I think holy is just being unique as Jesus is unique. You know, Jesus was unique. <laughs> he was a, from Nazareth, a carpenter. Everybody thought this guy's unique. And you're like, yeah, he's just so gentle and lowly of heart. But then he's got a whip and he's turning money changing tables over and whipping the whip, driving people out of the, my father's house, the house of prayer. It's like, whoa, I thought you were gentle and lowly of heart. You said that about yourself, Jesus. So how does that, you know, it's like, you can't put him into a box. Jesus is like this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and he's never like this, 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 and this. This is what it is to be holy. I, I just, I, I think God surprises us continually, right? When I read the Gospels, there's parts of it I love, you know? The woman caught in the act of adultery. Whoever else is without sin, go ahead and throw a rock. Nobody throws a rock. Everybody leaves. Where, where are your condemners? Neither do I condemn you. Goes. I love that. But then the guy comes up who's blind going, Lord, would you heal me? Yeah, let me spit in some dirt. Okay, put some dirt on him. Now go wash in the pool of Siloam. It's like, you know, okay. Well, guys, uh, I got some mud up here. So who's first? Spits on another guy's tongue. I, I don't know, those things are, are bizarre that Jesus did that. It really is. I, I didn't expect that. Feed this multitude of people. You think about it, it's not physically possible. Even if they had enough money for 5,000 men plus women and children, 10, 15,000 people, it's not, if they go to the next village, hey, uh, baker, could I have enough bread for 15,000, please? Okay, it's going to take me two months to get ready for you. Can you come back in two months and I'll have that ready? Of course, half of it will be molded, moldy the time you get here, but it just wasn't physically possible, even if they had the money. It just, they couldn't produce it. They had to travel very slowly to get there, very slowly to get back. It would have been a couple days later, minimal. But yeah, Jesus takes the little boy's bread and breaks it and everybody's fed, and there's more than when they started. Yeah, those things surprise me. Jesus walking on the water <laughs> surprised me. So when it says, give your body as a living sacrifice, you know what that sounds like? It sounds like step one. Give everything to God, holding back nothing. Give the first, the best, the top. God, I'd give it all to you. Okay, now the second step, get rid of all the leaven. What's that mean? It's, it's just a living sacrifice. Just living, holy, acceptable, whatever's pure, whatever's gentle, whatever's lovely, whatever other would, would be something that God praises. Let those be the things you say. Let those kind of be the things you think. Let that be the way you act. That's, that's it. And you know what you'll discover? 
You'll discover a depth of God's will that you didn't even know was there. Not only what's good, what's acceptable. Maybe that's where your Christian life has been. Just, yeah, I have the good stuff. But then the perfect will of God. Where you just start having all these divine appointments. Where God's got you at the right place at the right time to speak the right words and and to see the hand of God constantly in your life the way Jesus did, right? I mean, that's the one thing you look at Jesus' ministry. It was like, hey, we're going to go in town to eat, and I'm staying right here at this well. In Samaria? Why are you sitting out here? It's hot. It's dry. We're starving. You're hungry. You just said a few minutes ago you were starving, Jesus. What? Uh, I, I, got a, I got a mission to do here, and here the woman at the well comes out. You know, he, he, he had a, a perfect will of God. So in the Old Testament, they talk about consecration. But really in the New Testament, we would use the word sanctification. And you guys remember that passage. And we're going to end here tonight in verse 7. We're just going to stop here. But in 1 Thessalonians 4, Finally then, brethren, we urge and exhort in the Lord Jesus that you should abound more and more, just as you receive from us how you ought to walk and please God. For you know the commandments we gave you through the Lord Jesus Christ. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one should take an advantage or defraud his brother in this matter, because the Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, He rejects us, does not reject man, but God, who has given us his Holy Spirit. So when you read those first eight verses of 1 Thessalonians 4, you feel the weight of it. Like, this is the will of God, that you take your own vessel and and, and force it, beat it into subjection. What's it say in, in Galatians 5? That you'd crucify your flesh with all its passions and desires. Deny yourself, take up a cross. And that you would... Not lust, but be in cleanness. That you would not be unclean, but holy. That you wouldn't live a sexual mindset like the world who doesn't know God, but you would live sexually in a way that's mindful that God created it and how it's to be. And and it would be pure in God's eyes who created it. And so there's a few things in their culture that that he points out. And it sounds like the weight is all on us. But then the very next chapter, 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely. The word himself there is not there. It's it's emphatic. It's, it's It's understood that now may God by himself with nobody else's help. He's gonna 100% do it himself. He doesn't want anybody else's input or strength or help. God of peace himself will sanctify you completely, entirely, perfectly. And may your whole, I love this, spirit, soul, and body, not just spirit, not just soul, not just body, but all three be preserved blameless at the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he says this in verse 24 that sounds almost contradictive to 1 Thessalonians 5. He who calls you is faithful, who also will do it. I love that saying, without God, we can't. That is, be sanctified. But without us, he won't. Without God, we can't. But without us, he won't. 
So there's this, that willingness now to say, okay, I, I, I got all the leaven, God, and, I, and there's none except in this loaf right here. And I won't eat it for the next seven days, but once the seven days are over, I'm going to bake it. No, no, no. Don't think about leaven until the eighth day, and you can find some new leaven and put it in a new lump. But until that eighth day comes and the Feast of Unleavened Bread is over, not any kind of leaven in or around can be seen near you, near anybody. And there's just that holiness unto the Lord. Amen. Well, Lord, we thank you again for your word tonight. And we thank you for the sweetness that your word gives us, the sweetness of your presence that you give us. And so we, we realize here, Lord, as we are coming out of bondage, coming out of Egypt, coming out of the hand of Pharaoh, to be a free people doesn't mean we're free to do whatever we want, whenever we want, however we want. We're free now to live for you without constraint. So Lord, we, we lay these things before you and say, Lord, is it me? <laughs> is it me standing in the need of prayer? Search my heart, know my heart. What is it you want for me, Lord, to live in a way that's acceptable, but yet holy, but yet I experience the perfect will of God? Mm, thank you, Jesus.